0: we are going to be thinking a little bit about um, some thoughts having to do with Advent. So first passage I'm going to read is from 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to read verses 10 through 12. It says, of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully Who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what matter of time the Spirit of Christ, who was in them, was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that should follow. To them it was revealed, not to themselves, but to us. They were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven Things which angels desire to look into. And I was thinking a little bit about the birth of Christ. And this verse talks about some different things. So, first of all, it tells us that the prophets were given a glimpse of what was going to happen ahead of time. And Milo talked a little bit about that last Sunday, didn't he? Um, so, um, So, they knew some things about what Jesus was going to be like, they didn't know everything. Um, and if we read prophecy, and we know what Jesus was like, we can see how he fulfilled that prophecy, can't we? So, um, so I don't know that they could have, um, well, okay, so if I was going to draw a picture of somebody, um, and, um, and I had somebody tell me all the details of what this person looked like, um, and I sat down, this would be a disaster because I'm a terrible artist. But even if I was a good artist, and they said, "Oh, they've got brown hair, and they're they're um, they've got a really big smile, and their ears are kind of low, and um, and their nose is kind of big," well, you know, that picture may or may not look much like the um, like what the person um, that they're drawing of. Um, what they really look like, and and in the same way, you know, the prophets just have a little bit of detail here and there, and we can see what Jesus was like, um, and yet at the same time, it is whenever he came that we see him fully revealed. Um, so there were lots and lots of prophecies about the life of Jesus, and just a few of those talk about Jesus' birth. Um, God told about the sufferings that Jesus would experience, the healings that he would that he would give. And um, I like this last phrase, the angels desired to look into this. Um, The idea is this plan of salvation for humanity was something so beautiful that even heavenly creatures wanted to understand it better. So what did they see that was beautiful, that was worthwhile in it? Um, I'm guessing that it was just the beauty of the love that God showed for common creatures, okay? We're not anything special. I mean, I feel like I'm something special, and yet I know that I'm a very, very small part of this universe, and God still loves me, and he loves you too. And angels look at that, and they say, how can this be? How can this be that God would redeem something like those people down there? They're not even as good as we are. They don't have power like we have, and yet God loves them. And I don't think we understand that fully, do we? Okay, so if you have, if you buy um, some really cheap something from, um, from China, well, we won't say China, from, from somewhere else that wasn't made very well, and it breaks, what do you do? You just throw it away because it's not worth fixing, okay? And the angels think to themselves, you know, people are like that. God should just make new people, better people, people that will love him and won't sin. And God says, no, I am going to redeem those people. And the way I am going to redeem those people is to take their judgment on myself. So I was thinking about building a new sanctuary and about how much planning is involved with that. So, um, you know, if it was up to me um, and I had to draw up plans and decide um, what to do and and what all to strengthen, and I don't know, all the details, um, the, the sanctuary would fall down very quickly. Um, the first time there's a big wind or, or, you know, too much rain, and it'd be like the house built on the sand. Um, and um, Gabriel, Delvin, Paul, and Ben have a lot more know-how than I have, but they're still working with people who are architects and engineers, and I don't know who all, and and they're going to figure out what it takes to make something that will stand for more than, let's say, three years. Um, a lot more than three years. Hopefully it, it, lasts, um, it lasts a long time. So, and you want to plan all those things ahead of time. And in the same way, God wanted to make sure that everything was ready before Jesus came. So, you know, I think people were ready for Jesus to come long before he showed up. Um, So the fullness of time. I read that verse to the children, um, and I'm just going to read Galatians 4.4 again. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. So timing is everything. Um, they talk about telling jokes as being about timing. So I have a sister who tells jokes terribly. She, uh, it's not Amy. Uh, and um, she, she always messes up the punchline, and she, uh, and she can't remember it, and then she'll tell the punchline before she tells the joke. And it's, just, it's, um, it's very funny to hear her tell a joke, but not because the joke is funny. The joke is never funny because she always kind of messes it up. But if you tell a joke wrong, it just sort of falls flat. Um, but God's timing is perfect, isn't it? Um, my mother told me that when she was a girl, she was probably eight or nine years old. Um, she came to her father and she said, um, to her father, "Da," which was what she called him, da. I think that I could be a doctor. Now I know enough to be a doctor. Now she was, of course, still in, uh, still in, um, um, grade school and, um, and he thought a little while, and he said, "You know, um, you know, there, you you probably could be a doctor, but a lot of people would struggle seeing a nine-year-old doctor. Um, even if you were right all the time, they would they would probably not want to see a nine-year-old as doctor. So you should probably keep going to school for a little while yet." And um, and she did, and she did become a doctor eventually. Um, So we don't know fully what this phrase, the fullness of time, means. Um, Certainly it conveys something about the time being right for Jesus to come to earth. And we're going to talk a little bit about things that were probably ready that weren't ready before. 2 Peter 3 verse 8 says, But, beloved, do not forget this one thing that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness, but is long suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And this passage is talking about Jesus' second coming and the fact that Jesus' second coming feels to us like it's delayed. Um, You know, God does not operate on the same time scale that we do. Uh, My dog, uh, I have been told, ages seven years for every year that I age. I'm not sure if that's true or not, um, and she isn't either. But what we know is that God doesn't age. He is outside of time, okay? And when he looks at us, he makes decisions based on what he thinks is, is just right, And so when God chooses to wait, he always waits because of his mercy. So right now he is waiting to make certain that all people have the opportunity to follow Jesus, to get to know Jesus. And it's not because he wants to see people suffer, things like that. Um, And so things have to come, they have to develop right. So there was a man named Piaget who, who... put down these things called developmental milestones, um, and, and these are just the ages at which children normally start to do things. So if you, if you have a child and you watch them, there's certain ages that they're going to do stuff. Um, I was talking to um, Elise, who's four years old, and I asked her if she thought her mother had a skeleton in her closet, and she just thought this was the funniest thing. And she said, "No, Dad. People only have skeletons in their closet at Halloween." Well, she was very literal-minded, wasn't it? Wasn't she? Uh, when um, one of our other children was young, um, I asked um, if if they knew why people who live in glass houses should not throw stones, and they started laughing and they said, "Because they'd break all the windows," which is true. Um, but it's a it's a very literal-minded kind of way of doing things, and so in the same way, school teachers will tell you you have to wait until children are ready before you teach them a certain concept. Once they're ready, they're going to be able to to master it. But beforehand, it's going to be extremely difficult. And so, something had happened over time that made it the right time for Jesus to come. So I thought maybe we could just do just a really brief snapshot of what history the the Jews had been through leading up to the time of Jesus. So starting at the Babylonian captivity, we know that they were carried off to Babylon and they stayed for 70 years there. Um, So the Babylonians came in, they knocked down the city walls, they destroyed the temple. There was nothing left but rubble. And 70 years later, King Cyrus of Persia made an edict, and he said, you Jewish people can go back to Palestine. And over time, Ezra and Nehemiah showed up, and they built the walls and the temple back, and things were sort of halfway back. They were under the the Persian Empire, but Persia was relatively um, benign, and they let them do things that they wanted to. They let them worship the way they wanted to. And about 350 years before the time of Christ, Alexander the Great conquered the Persian Empire. And he created an empire of his own. And um, so at some point, um, pretty quickly, he died. He died um, in Persia, and and his empire was divided into four parts. And the two parts, which we know the most about, were the... um, uh, were Egypt, which was ruled by a, a family called the Ptolemies, and Syria, which um, was ruled by a family called the Seleucids. And, um, and they fought back and forth through um, through Israel, trying to, trying to gain power in that land. And sometimes one of them was dominant, and sometimes the other one was. Um, and there was a king in Syria named Antiochus Epiphanes. And he's pretty notorious. So he was a pretty terrible person. And he came in and he decided he was going to turn all of these Jewish people into into pagans. And he actually went as far as to go into the temple and offer a pig on the altar in the temple. As a result, the um, Jewish people revolted. They said, this is horrible and we will not stand for this. And so a family called the Maccabees. Uh, revolted against him and led the the Jewish people um, to to get free, and they did so. From about 140 BC to 36 BC, uh, the Maccabees ruled in Israel, and then a man named Herod the Great came to power. Herod the Great was not Jewish; he was um, um, from Edom um, or Idumea, and um, And he, the Jewish people didn't like him, but um, he invited the Roman Empire to come in. And so that's how we get to the the time when Jesus was born. So the Jews no longer are in control. They are ruled by a mixture of the Herods and and Rome. And they hated Herod. They hated um, Rome. And they wanted just to be free. So why did Jesus come at this point? Well, uh, maybe the simplest answers are that we don't know or that the time is right. Um, And the time is right just feels like just saying, well, because. So I'm just going to list a few different reasons why it's possible that Jesus came when he did. First thing is that the Jewish people had reached a place of desperation. And many times in the past, um, they would not have listened to a Messiah. They thought that they were doing pretty well. And... um, and people who are doing pretty well don't need a savior, do they? Um, you know, well, people don't need doctors. Um, and you can go on down the, down the list. You know, if, you're, uh, if your plumbing is working well, you don't need a plumber, do you? Um, and so they had reached a place of desperation. They needed some outside assistance. Second thing is that the whole world spoke the same language. And you might think that um, because uh, Rome was ruling the world, that this would be Latin, but it was actually Greek. Alexander the Greek, Alexander the Greek, the, Alexander the Great had conquered most of the known world, and he had spread Greek all over the place. And so, when we read the New Testament in the original, which I can't do, um, it was written in Greek. And this was not the the um, highbrow Greek. This was just the common um, what they called the coiny Greek. Um, and so, prior to this. Um, it would have been extremely difficult for, um, for the gospel to spread because you have to, you know, if you go to, um, I don't know, someplace in, uh, in Asia where people speak, um, say, say Thailand, if people don't speak English, you have to learn their language. And some of those languages are pretty hard to learn. Um, Another thing is that a lot of people were abandoning their idols at this point. And you say, well, why were people abandoning their idols? Well, because Rome had conquered them, okay? And their idols hadn't done them much good. And so people who lived in Asia Minor or in Egypt realized, you know what? These gods we have worshipped all these years have done us no good. And our countries are um, pretty devastated as the result, we need something else. The world was safer then than it had been for many years so um, so Paul was able to travel around as well as he could, particularly by ship, because piracy had really been wiped out. The Romans um, kept the roads safe they kept um, they kept travel pretty easy and I think the whole point is that unlike previous kings, Jesus was not just for the Jewish people. It was important that the message of the gospel be able to go out through the whole world. And so if it stayed in Judea, it wouldn't make a difference, would it? All these things didn't matter if it was just going to be for the Jewish people and, and, and it didn't matter if it reached anybody else. And so there was a fullness of time that, that happened here that made it ready for the gospel, not only to come to earth, but also to be spread throughout the nations. So God has perfect timing for all the things that happen in our lives too, doesn't he? Um, And yet, I think a lot of times we believe that God is running behind time. He is taking too long to do the things that we want him to do. King David um, was anointed when he was just a boy. He killed Goliath when he was a teenager, and yet he spent years in the desert fleeing from Saul. And he was 30 years old when he became ruler in Judah. Another seven years later, he um, got to the place where he ruled all of Israel. And that's a long time. You know, that's 20 years maybe before he ruled um, all of Israel. Um, but God takes his time because he knows what is best for us, and he has a lot of patience, a lot more than we have. Um, So I don't know if you've ever had something that you were trying to put together, and, um, and it just was really fiddly, and you had trouble getting it together, and you started pushing too hard, and you broke it. God doesn't do that because he is patient with us. And when we're not responding exactly the way that we should, he takes the time that we need to respond. Isaiah 55, eight and nine says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts. And isn't this a blessing? When we don't understand what God is doing, it isn't because he doesn't know what he's doing. It's just that it's above our comprehension. We don't understand what is going on. And just as his timing isn't our timing, his thoughts are above ours. That's why there's so many verses in the Bible that talk about waiting, about patience, the blessings that come for those who are willing to wait on God. So another thing that was involved with the preparation for Jesus was John the Baptist. So Um, It's interesting that only two of the Gospels talk about Jesus' birth, but every single one of the Gospels talks about John the Baptist. Um, And um, of course, he wasn't named John the Baptist when he was born. He was just called John then, um, probably John Ben Zacharias. We're going to read from Luke chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 5 through 25. So it's a little section here talking about the preparation for John's birth. Luke 1, 5 through 25. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zachariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God and was sent. To speak to you and to bring to you these glad tidings but behold you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time and the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple but when he came out he could not speak to them and they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple for he beckoned to them and he made and remained speechless So it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. Now after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying, Thus the Lord has dealt with me, and the days when he looked on me, to take away my reproach from among the people. So it says here that Zacharias and his wife were blameless. Um, I don't think this means that they were perfect, um, but they were doing their best to serve God and to follow God. And, you know, we can, we can think about stories in the Old Testament that are a little bit similar to this, can't we? Um, Abraham and Sarah, um, Hannah is another one that comes to mind. Um, and this is a child that was promised that would be a special child. Um, I actually thought of Samson, too. Samson was supposed to be a special child, but it seems like he, um, he was kind of messed up, too, wasn't he? So John the Baptist was not to drink wine or any strong drink, um, fermented things. Um, he would have within him the spirit and power of Elijah. And here the, the angel quoted from the Old Testament. And he said what John's mission was going to be and, um, and what he would do. So Zechariah questioned the angel. Um, and I, I don't know if Zechariah even knew this was an angel until the angel told him. So, you know, I, I don't know what you would think if somebody just appeared to you. Um, when you're burning incense, but certainly it seems like he was kind of taken aback, um, and he wanted a sign, didn't he? Uh, and um, and the angel gave him a sign, but it wasn't the kind of sign he would have asked for. I think you know he, most of us would ask for uh, like you know something like Gideon's fleece or something like that. And instead, um, the angel said, "Well, your sign will be that you you can't talk for a while." And um, you would think this is this is kind of a strange thing to ask for a sign for because you know if you just wait a little while you're going to find out right, um, so he received the sign of muteness, um, and so I do think it's probably a little dangerous um, to um, to ask God for a just a sign just out of the clear blue, um, but the sign was something that was public and Zacharias we know not only did he. Uh, have difficulty talking, but then um, his speech came back whenever he uh, wrote that his son's name would be John. And so John the Baptist was really important. Um, Every single one of the Gospels mentions John the Baptist, and this was a fulfillment to scripture, wasn't it? So Malachi 4 verses 5 and 6 says, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the father's to the children and the hearts of the children, to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. And then Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5 says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So these are both quoted by the angel, Gabriel, um, when he announced John's birth. Um, John actually talked about the the passage from Isaiah 40 when he talks about himself. They asked him, who are you? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Um, So he was preparing the people, their hearts, for the Messiah. So he's like a farmer going out and disking up the field so that when Jesus came on the scene, people would be ready to hear that they'd be ready to repent. Um, John identified Jesus. He baptized Jesus. And um, he was not afraid to speak truth to people who were in power. And he identified the hypocrisy of the Pharisees of his day. And Jesus did this too, didn't he? And he was focused on true repentance. He wanted people to turn from their wicked ways and start serving God. And then maybe the last thing to think about in the preparation for, um, for Jesus' birth is Mary's availability. So we thought about world things that were going on that would have made it ready for the gospel to send things, go out through the, through the world. John the Baptist, the um, The prophet Elijah showing up, and then Mary was available. Luke 1, 26-38. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel said to her, "'Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women.'" Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. For with God nothing will be impossible." Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And I think this passage mirrors the one that we saw with Zacharias. So Gabriel tells her that she should rejoice. She's going to be blessed. And this is pretty surprising to Mary. She's, she's, I think she's less than excited by it, but she is willing to do what God has asked her to do. And once again, Gabriel quotes an Old Testament prophecy. This one is from Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. I'm not going to read it here. Um, but Mary picks up the idea that this child is the anointed one. This child is going to be the Messiah. And Mary was willing to do what God had called her to do. Um, I think Catholics overemphasize Mary. They think that she uh, was sinless, um, from her conception on, and, you know, obviously, Mary wasn't perfect, um, but she was special, and she was willing to be used. And I think sometimes we look at a task, and we think to ourselves, Annie Wooden could do that. Uh, in our own, and when our mind does that, we need to remember that anybody didn't do that. So there are an amazing number of people in a household who are more willing to smell a dirty diaper than to go change it. Okay? It's just the way it is. And so when God has called us to something, we need to be available to do what he asks us to do. And I don't know what God has called you to do. I only know that he calls each one of us to serve him where we are. Jeremiah 29, verse 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And in 2016, Elaine and I were thinking about where to move as a result of just not having family close by. And um, we didn't know where the next step was. We just felt that God was wanting us to move someplace else. And after much searching and much prayer, we decided to move to Gladys. And I suppose you're wondering right now, did they make the right decision? Maybe they didn't hear God's voice right. But what I would say is that God prepares us for the next step. And he doesn't tell us what that's going to mean There's a song, Mary, Did You Know? And Mary, Did You Know? asks a lot of questions. But I think Mary had absolutely no idea what her life was going to be like. And when she was standing there at the crucifixion, seeing her son die, her heart was torn apart. And nothing that Gabriel said prepared her for that. And yet she was available. She was willing to do what God had called her to do. And I would just say that whatever you're doing today, God is preparing you for the next step, just as he was preparing this earth for the coming of his son. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, I thank you that you are patient with us, that you love us, and that you've given so much to us. And I do pray that you would be in our lives, make us what we should be, help us to be available to you, for whatever you have for us. In Jesus name we pray, Amen.